Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Throughout the month of April, we have been writing and talking about hiring, and we've been sharing best practices to help make Let's help you make better hires. You can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team. And you can find all of that at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. While you're there, don't forget to download this month's ebook, which is called The Ultimate Hiring Guide for Sales Managers. You can grab the copy in our show notes, which are at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 147. And this is a very special episode of Let's Talk Sales. This is Elizabeth Frederick, Operations Officer and Senior Advisor. And with me today, I have our founder and CEO, Charles Bernard. We are so excited to announce that Charles is completing his first book called Enabling Buying in a World of Selling, which is going to be published relatively soon. And today we'll be talking a bit about why he's writing that book and discussing some of the key themes. So Charles, you have a lot of different areas of experience. Um, You have been, and this is a small subsection of the list, but you've been a programmer, a salesperson, a sales manager. Um, You founded a few businesses, including this one. So what made you decide to add author to your resume? So I'm going to answer that question by saying that writing a book for me is a great opportunity to discover new possibilities. It's really an ongoing inquiry. And it's an inquiry into something I'm very passionate about, which is buying and selling and all the dynamics associated with that. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I know um, you're all about kind of discovery. And so discovering possibilities, that's a, that's a big idea. Um, so what gave you the idea for this book specifically? So that too was a, a, an evolution. It's sort of interesting. A lot of people think you fall out of bed, you come up with an idea, and you write on it. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but in fact, it's a compilation of ideas. Um, but in going through a series of thought processes, the fundamental issues that I'm really driven to uncover breakthroughs um, for myself as a seller, but for other salespeople and their performance and um, their leadership and uh, I really think uh, the idea has kind of evolved but the driver is that desire to um, continue to document and uncover as I'm doing that what it really takes to uh, improve performance. Definitely. And something you mentioned that I wanted to drill down on for a bit is that word breakthrough. You said you want to uncover breakthroughs and help people uncover breakthroughs. Can you talk for a little bit about what that means um, and why that's so important to you? Well, if you had an hour, I'd probably start <laughs> still scratching the surface. Maybe not but a I'll... whole hour, but we'll give you a few minutes. <laughs> but in a few minutes, um, I'll answer it by saying that me and a lot of people that I come across work really hard or, or wish very hard. Sometimes we wish and we don't work and sometimes we work and we don't wish. But we're, we're at work on something and we're kind of doing the same thing. We're making some changes but nothing dramatic is really altered. Um, 
and then every so often you go to training someone talks to you you get coached or it just happens in some other way you have a breakthrough and you see something you didn't see before and so for me the best way to define a breakthrough is something that is totally unexpected that when you get to the other side of that breakthrough it puts you in a place of radically improved performance let's say or um, perhaps accomplishing results that you were struggling hard to and just were never able to get to until you you had this epiphany if you will or this breakthrough absolutely i love the word epiphany um we don't use that a lot but breakthrough is just so powerful um the title of this book was a bit of a breakthrough i know because i was there when you had it so where did you come up with this title and what does it mean to you so um hmm, enabling buying in a world of selling is uh is the title and um, that too evolved so it seems like this entire dialogue is um, based on stuff that's evolved and probably this dialogue is evolving <laughs> but the the idea came from an exercise we did here internally at CFS you were part of that and um, we we had come together I had just one mandate for the exercise and the exercise was to define our vision and our mission and our values and the only mandate I had was that it had to have enabling buying as the fundamental concept. And it was one of our team members, Ariana Miskell, who had said it. We'd actually written some statements. She wrote her statement. Each one of us took it in turn to write statements on the whiteboard so we could kind of step back and reflect on it and everyone could see it. And when she wrote enabling buying in a world of selling, it was like immediately everybody said, that's it. And um, it was just so simple, easy, kind of nailed it, um, that it just made sense that that should be the title of the book as well. Yeah, that was such a powerful moment. Um, I definitely do not want to share any of my suggestions that I came up <laughs> with. Uh, naming things, uh, coming up with language is not my skill set. So um, I, I remember that moment and it's just such a, it seems small, it seems simple just a few words, but there's so much power that's behind that. Um, so uh, who is the book really for? Who are the best people who are going to have those breakthroughs when they read this book? So the simple answer is it's for buyers and sellers. But I think the people who will invest in reading the book the most would be sellers. It's interesting, the book itself actually talks about that because we find salespeople have this big desire to um, improve their skills as mm -hmm. sellers. And I can't say truthfully that I've seen the same on the buying side. Like the only sales, I mean, sorry, the only buying improvement that I've seen or buying skills are more on the purchasing agent contract side mm -hmm. and not to not purchasing agents and contract managers, but the perception is their focus is very narrow and it's more about price terms and conditions now I think it is evolving mm -hmm. but if you think about buyers who are going to acquire whatever is being bought like a big project or a product or a service or something whatever it is um, those people I don't see getting trained so easily on on figuring out um, what is the best way to buy definitely you know you think about it and I think most people think they know how to buy 
Um, I do a lot of purchasing. I was never trained on how to buy. Uh, you think back to your first buying uh, activity that ever happened. It was probably your mom gave you a little bit of money and you went and bought <laughs> some candy or you know a comic book or something. Right. Uh, maybe your birthday money. And I think we all think we know how to buy. And then we think, oh, maybe I need some training. The training, immediately people will think, I need negotiation training. Right. I need to be able to get the most out of that vendor, out of that salesperson, uh, and that's all I need to know. But your book is really uh, a lot more, and it's a lot more about that big picture um, approach. And so if we can get buyers to read it, or if those salespeople who read the book are sometimes buyers, I think it'll open their eyes as well. Yeah, very well said. Definitely. And I think um, that's one of those situations where salespeople, like you said, are often reading a lot. There's a lot of sales training books and best practices. And we learn from those when we read them. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like there are a lot of different models that are all saying a lot of the same kind of themes, um, but each of them can create discovery. But um, when it comes to buying, I think a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so we've been talking about these two different people who are in relationship. And one of the biggest themes in your book is a concept called workability. I know um, you've referenced it a few times in previous episodes of the podcast, and you've written about it on the blog. Um, but could you explain that concept to our listeners who might be hearing the word workability for the first time? Well, I'll try to do it in less than an hour for sure. Um, keep it short. Uh, I think the first thing... I want to mention is actually the title, the original title of the book was Selling Workability because that was the primary focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, until we did this exercise where we ourselves, including me, had a breakthrough, it just seemed more sensible to use buying, enabling buying in a world of selling. But workability, I think, I'll tell you what it's not, which almost defines what it is. Workability, what it's not, is a lot of position taking. So back to what you were saying about the buyer, I think I see a lot of buyers taking a position that their job is to outmaneuver mm -hmm. the seller. And you could extend that into the seller and say the seller's position is to outmaneuver the buyer or maneuver the buyer. Either way, you've got two people if there were just two people involved, sometimes there's more. But you've got these two representatives, the buying side, the selling side, who are sort of out to make the other side do something, mm -hmm. um, which I call kind of forcing things to happen. Mm -hmm. Workability is the opposite of that. Workability is more a function of true integrity where things are allowed to happen in their time frame, in the, in the proper way. And so to define integrity, which that alone could take quite a while, I think that the best way to define it is to honor your word. So say what you mean, mean what you say. That's a simple definition. And when I talk about workability, I talk about the relationship, but I also talk about the work itself. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, buyers and sellers in that sort of position maneuvering context are focused on each other or on the other person and um, I think we need to spend more time focused on the objective, focused on the work, focused on what needs to get accomplished and it could simply mean asking yourself what is needed to enable buying and that could be asked by the buyer and mm -hmm. it could be asked by the seller and once buying has been enabled the question continues what's needed to make what was bought uh, get implemented successfully. 
So workability, I know I just got a few more things to say about it and then I'm done, but we tend to think of workability as something we focus just on two people, you know, or, or two constituents, buyers and sellers. But if you think back to the two people, imagine a meeting where you've got a buyer and a seller and um, the seller not only is representing themselves, but they're also representing their entire organization. So if I'm selling something that most often is going to get delivered by somebody else, mm -hmm. whether it's a product that's going to get shipped or made or manufactured or assembled, or whether it's a service that's going to be delivered, I, the seller, have to make sure that I have workability with my organization so that they're able to fulfill on, uh, on the promises I'm making. And so workability on the seller side extends beyond the seller. Workability on the buyer's side um, likewise extends beyond the buyer because that person is also representing other stakeholders who probably haven't been involved in that buying discussion or that buying um, process. And so now the buyer has to have a workable relationship with their own organization so that whatever they bought, uh, if they were the decision maker to buy something, um, is being adequately acquired and um, represented internally for the rest of the organization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to drill down on a couple of the things that you just mentioned, because I think there's a lot of wisdom there. So first of all, all the way back, um, you were talking about focusing on facts and focusing on objectives and the work. And what that really brought to mind for me, um, in March, I wrote an ebook about self-awareness. And we um, will include a link to that in the show notes. Um, and I recorded a few episodes of the podcast about it. Um, and one of the most important um, concepts when it comes to self-awareness and when it comes to relationship with others is that um, as human beings, we're constitutionally incapable of understanding motivations. Interesting. We don't even understand our own motivations. So you might be in years and years of therapy and you'll still do something or say something and just look back five minutes later and be like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What was, what was that? Uh, you know, what was the purpose of that? Um, and it's a funny thing. And so I think most of us are relatively, hopefully, self-aware, if not, this might have been a breakthrough for you, that we're not very good at figuring out our own motivations. We might have some insights, but we're not, we're not experts. Well, then we somehow think that we understand other people's motivations. And that's pretty crazy to think of. Um, if we can't even understand why we do what we do, we certainly shouldn't be trying to figure out why it is that somebody else is doing what they're doing. But when it comes to buying and selling situations, we're like motivation hunters. We think, I, I am trying to get the best for my business, and this person's sleazy. They're, they're a sneaky salesperson. They're trying to get one over on me. And then you've got the salesperson sitting there, and they think this buyer is going to hide their feelings. They're going to hide what they want. They're going to lie to me. And you're, they're approaching this conversation really adversarially, kind of looking for these negative motivations in other people. Yeah. And that's not useful. <laughs> it's not very workable. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so if instead you're focused on, like you said, the objectives yeah. and looking to just have a fact-based conversation, focus on the work, on building something together, on figuring things out, that's a lot more of a productive conversation. Yeah. You know, it's, it reminds me of a story that uh, is based on something that we're going through ourselves mm -hmm. as um, both buyers and I guess sellers to some extent, but mostly we're on the buy side. So 
Um, we're proud to announce that we're going to move. We've outgrown our space, and um, we're moving. We're staying in the building, yep, which is moving great. on up. <laughs> moving on up, literally. It's going to be several floors uh, above this floor in the building. Much better view. Much better view, and um, the the part that I'm intrigued by is that the parties that have been working on this transaction um, are only together for a brief amount of time. Mm -hmm. And yet the people we're actually going to live with once we're in the new space are actually not part of this discussion. You know, the building managers. So the people we're talking to now are brokers, um, landlords, and uh, legal representatives, so lawyers. And it gets pretty intense back and forth. And to your point about mistrust, there's, there's always some you know, uh, I think it's just human nature that, that you're not sure of what the motivation of the other side is. So we've asked for some things, they've conceded on some things, we've conceded on some things, and by and large, I have to say that the transaction's been pretty workable. Mm -hmm. And um, But now that we're having this discussion, I'm realizing that it because we've been in the building before and, and we've seen this happen before, we um we're really it's really important that the people we have to live with day to day here the um, managing agent adequately fulfills on the expectations that we have that are in this contract that we're yeah. working on so that's a that's really a big example of where i think workability extends um, far beyond, in many cases, the buyer and the seller themselves. Definitely. And as you said, um, each person in a conversation is representing a lot of people behind them. And so let's say you're the buyer in the buying and selling conversation, and you don't have a strong sense of what it is that your users, you know, the end users of this product or service need. And so maybe your primary goal is to save costs, but then you end up buying a solution that's not the best solution, but it was the cheapest. Well, you didn't necessarily represent your organization in the most effective way, and so you might have damaged workability within your team. They might be so frustrated with you. Why did this person cheap out on buying the inferior product or service um, and not invest in what they needed? And so workability happens inside that organization. And then in the sales organization, if there are disconnects between sales and delivery, if delivery thinks, oh my goodness, what is sales selling? That's not something we can deliver. And sales is kind of, you know, going uh, out beyond their skis. That can be pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's important to have each person coming to the conversation with workability. Yes. They've done the work at knowing um, back to, you know, the facts, back to the objectives. These are the things that we absolutely need from the buyer. I know why we need these things. I know what we need. And then if I'm the seller, I know what we can deliver. <laughs> I know what we, you know, how we want to, um, to relate to our clients. And then if we have that foundation of workability, that enables a more workable conversation. And you're right, but I want to add something to what you said, because I, I want the listeners to get my point of view, which is, when we talk about workability, we're not talking about a prescription. We're mm -hmm. not talking about coming to a meeting or a transaction. Although, yes, you want to be prepared. Um, I just don't want us coming with this sort of set of techniques. Mm -hmm. and it's know not a how. checklist. It's not a checklist. I think the biggest thing that I find helps anyone get to workability or get to improve performance or get to enabling buying in a world of selling is to simply ask what is needed 
for buying right now? What is needed for workability? And asking more of the questions rather than coming with the answers ahead of time is going to help you and serve you um, and, and help you find better places for you to be more useful and valuable. Definitely. That's something that's so um, incredibly important and um, a good reminder to really yeah. just think about kind of where are you coming from. Yeah, and ask yourself a bunch of questions so that you can stay <laughs> on track. Definitely. It's amazing how often just asking uh, that question yeah. of what it is that we need or yeah. what is it that what, you need. What, what should I do? What should happen? You yeah, know. we don't do that. And no. we're kind of bumbling around. <laughs> right. <laughs> so speaking of questions... All right, a bit of a different question. I want to kind of go in a different direction because you are a first-time author here. You've written some eBooks and written a lot of blog posts, but this is the first time you're really putting together a whole book. Um, and I imagine that some of our listeners might be considering becoming authors themselves. What advice would you give a first-time author? Wow, you really have some good questions. Let me think about that. Um, so for anyone thinking about becoming a first-time author, I would say hire a good ghostwriter. <laughs> I know that was your <laughs> secret weapon. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I, so the emphasis obviously is on the word good. So someone who gets you and gets the theme and who writes better than you, which is what happened in my case. So I, I hired a ghostwriter who's working with me on this book, and uh, she's a great writer. And regardless of... Um, the outcome of the book I'm better for having worked with her because it's really helped me with my own writing style so a ghost a good ghost writer um, can fill in a lot of blanks can actually write stuff for you that then you can edit or you write stuff that they can edit um, but also can teach you lead you um, yeah I think that's it that's the yeah secret. I know she said like you need to refine this point yeah. or this isn't clear or insert a story or, yeah. here she's or. kind of providing an initial edit round as well as the ghost writing um, and one thing that I think when you said somebody who gets you and gets your gets your concept gets your theme I know your ghostwriter had a breakthrough when she sat in on a sales training that you delivered and she actually took one of the training topics yep. and kind of pre-wrote a chapter of the book and reframed it and read it an acronym and, and did a better <laughs> job of what I've done with that topic in the past definitely and so um, for anybody who is deciding that you want to go forward with writing a book and you want to have a writing partner or a ghost writer or you're writing with somebody um, sharing experiences like that um, not everybody obviously is training so you can't have somebody sit in as you're doing a training but can they become a customer of your service can they um, experiment with something if it's if that's not feasible can they observe a customer situation and really see how things work um, whatever you're writing about making sure that 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 person who's writing with you if you do have a partner or ghostwriter um, is is as comfortable with it as they can possibly be that that definitely helps seemed like she had a bit of a breakthrough well, well and I also again. like your definition of a writing partner versus a ghostwriter. That's nice. Definitely. All right. So speaking of books, I know you are a big reader as well as a writer. So what are some of your favorite sales or business growth books? They don't have to be the newest and trendiest. They can be. But what are the ones that you maybe come, get, come back to or have found have created a breakthrough for you? So I'll just uh, correct the record. I, I have done a lot of reading, but it's interesting how... I'd say lately, especially in the last year or so, I've been doing a lot of um, YouTube watching and mm -hmm. podcast listening and just using my headphones. I'm on the subway. I'm walking around. That's 
dead time. Yeah, you're a big learner, let's say. (laughs) I like That's a good phrase. Thank you. Um, So in terms of recommending business growth or sales-specific books, um, there's a few. So E-Myth by Michael Gerber, E-M-Y-T-H, was a breakthrough book for me because it really helped me organize some concepts that help me um, build the business and, absolutely and the playbook in particular yeah you recommended that i read that book not long after i started here and i had a breakthrough i mean that was an amazing uh, it, it highly second recommend that <laughs> i highly rec- second that recommendation <laughs> and um the other a couple other books uh tribal leadership mm-hmm uh, David Logan, John King, and forgive me, I think there might have been a third author. I just I think don't remember who, who that person was. But We'll have that in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Uh, Tribal Leadership was, a, was another great book because it gave me insights into the culture of an organization. And these guys did some deep dives on studying culture and how important culture is to um, not only a company's success, but interestingly enough, they came up with a declaration that culture trumps um, financial stats if you're buying a company. So a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of buyers, if they're buying a company, will focus on and do their due diligence on the numbers and um, the processes, etc. But they highly recommend taking some form of measuring the culture because that drive success in in their case i think in their world they they see it as even more important definitely I th- i've got two things there first of all and it's interesting because this is the same the same client of ours um we heard about that book because of a client they were planning an annual leadership retreat and so they had all of their leaders and managers read that book and um, and then Charles you were so inspired by that that you embarked on a training program um, that the authors of the book ran there was like well, a training and coaching program good that, point there's two things there sorry to interrupt you but um, did you want to say something? Oh, no go ahead so um yeah, you were involved, I remember. So you and I, for the listeners... This was back in the day. Back in the day, <laughs> were, were planning a leadership event or a leadership training that, based on our curriculum. And um, a very enlightened CEO, our client, um, I don't know if it's a good idea to mention his name. He might not. He hasn't given us permission, so we won't. But um, he gave us this mandate of a book that he had just made his executive team read. He had read... And he said, if you're going to come in and train my team, I want you to have this as a background because a lot of us are going to be talking about the concepts we learned. And if you have no idea what it is, you're going to be, it's going to be a big blind yeah, spot. Yeah, he'll be a C. <laughs> and so um, it really, I don't know if you remember, but it actually, we pivoted our own training. We, we took did. some of the stuff that we were prepared to deliver and altered it so that it was more in line with some of the concepts in the book. So, um that, that was really dramatic, and, and you're right. It, it, I'd forgotten that story. Yeah, and I remember you were doing that coaching program. Now, what's interesting to me, you were talking about how, um, you know, in the book, one of the, one of the themes that came out is that culture is so important. And this client, they had a really good example of that, where they had, they didn't buy a company, but they absorbed a branch of a mm-hmm. different company. Right. And the, it made sense if you were to look at it analytically. It checked all the boxes, the financials. They had the right people. It was a location they had wanted to get into. And they thought, wow, you know, the competitor is kind of going through a difficult time. Basically, an entire branch worth of people would be willing to work for us instead. And I don't think they had really taken that good look at culture. 
And uh, less than a year later, I don't think a single one of those people was still um, <laughs> employed. And yeah. they they didn't fit. And so that yeah. culture is so important. Um, right. One of our biggest um, concepts and ideas that we got, I think, out of tribal leadership is that gossip kills culture. Gossip and I know does, we've made yeah. that a really big part of our training and our discussions internally. Um, and it's a, it's a big concept that we learned from that book. I don't All know right. if you have time. For, I've got a couple others. Do you Absolutely. want to Absolutely. We don't have to talk about each one as uh, long as no. we talked about this one. So a um, couple more books. So two more in particular. Jim Collins wrote, one was Good to Great, the other is Built to Last. I uh, won't spend a lot of time on those, but definitely worth reading. Never Split the Difference is another book. So the, the full title, it's a long title, is Never Split the Difference... Uh, negotiate like your life depends on it and that was written by Chris Voss and it's on negotiation and whenever I make a recommendation if I leave it at that most people go oh yeah great negotiation sure I read that nice to have nice to have and then I tell them the second part and almost everybody jumps on Amazon (laughs) and pulls down a copy and that is that the author Chris Voss um, is retired but he retired from the FBI and was considered their top hostage negotiator. So, so I think he's got some skills. He's got some skills. Um, and didn't he do? Was it a TED talk or he did some sort of a video? He's done a whole bunch of yeah. talks. Yeah, and so, Google um, interviewed him. As you said, you know Charles uh, learns a lot through um, through videos and podcasts. I personally listen to way too many podcasts and learn a lot there. So um, any of these authors uh, likely have information. All right, we'll allow it. And I want to throw it in because it's totally off the reservation, and it's one I read many, many years ago, like many years ago. Was I born? It might have been before you were born. (laughs) And uh, it's called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and it's written by Dan Millman. And to my surprise, I've mentioned it to a number of people probably closer to my age than your age, (laughs) and they're like, I love that book. If, you're, if you've heard of an author called Carlos Castaneda, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but it's kind of spiritual. Anyway, this book is an easy read and um, has very little to do with business specifically, mm-hmm. but more to do with um, Zen and, and you and, and being um, intense about stuff, but in a very nurturing, natural way. So I would highly recommend that, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Dan Millman. Nice. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, as I'm sure our listeners have discovered throughout this conversation, you have a very philosophical approach to business, to sales, to life. And so um, it's important to have those books that you read that can impact you at a philosophical level, that really change the way you think about things at a big picture level, and then you can apply it down in specific situations. I know Emeth, back to that, that was a really big um, eye-opening uh, book for me. All right, so speaking of books, uh, kind of a transition there. We talk a lot about sales playbooks here at Criteria for Success. What is one thing related to everything we've been talking about today that you think people could include in their sales playbooks? I don't think you're going to be surprised by my answer because we've worked together for so many years in so many situations. 11 years plus. There you go. (laughs) But I'll say it anyway, and that is, um, to me, one thing I see almost gets kick to the curb, overlooked, is a section in a playbook. So first thing about a playbook is it should be dynamic, meaning mm-hmm. you insert something, you add something, you change something, and the playbook um, reflects that change immediately, and then everyone using the playbook is notified, so it's up to date at all times. 
given that it's dynamic, there's a section that I think all playbooks should have, and that is a section for the team, mm-hmm. the sales team in particular. It could be a, a, other teams as well. But some place in the playbook that has a section for the team to actively encourage each other to learn from each other. So in all the years of training and management consulting and all the work we've done, I've come to discover that the word of a salesperson for another salesperson is most often more accepted and, and taken for its true value than a trainer, a leader. And I think part of the reason for that is because if you if you hear something that you like from a peer, it seems to have more validity because they're walking in your shoes, they're Absolutely. doing the same job, especially if it's a peer who is going through a high performance rate mm-hmm. where they're hitting their numbers and they're knocking the results out of the park and they say something and they share their secret source, I think a a fellow team member will jump at that versus hearing someone from the outside who really doesn't have that level of credibility. Absolutely. That's something that we see so often. It's always um, kind of funny because you might come in as a trainer and say, I recommend you do X, Y, Z. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, nice to have. <laughs> and then a sit- one person on the team is like, you know what? I think we should do X, Y, Z. And everybody's <laughs> right. like, oh, my goodness, That's what an amazing idea. idea. Right. I'm like, dude, I just said that. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but, hey. Whoever, whoever helps enable discovery, that's what we want to have happen. All right. Uh, one last question. I know this is a hard question sometimes for authors, but since it is not yet published, when can we expect to see enabling buying in a world of selling to be made available so everybody can read it? No pressure, right? No um, pressure at all. So I'd say by the end of this year. Uh, okay. I wanted to have published it sooner, but to be realistic and given the time constraints that I'm under at the moment, I'm, I'm going to say by the end of 2019. All that? right. You guys heard it first. So um, we'll look to see when exactly that is. And I'm sure we'll bring Charles back to talk about it um, once the ebook or not ebook, once the real book is, um, is available for, uh, for purchase. All right. I hope everybody is as excited as I am to read Charles's book. I have loved every chapter I've had the chance to preview. So thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk Sales. You can find the notes for today's show and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 147. You'll want to tune in next week when we will be airing an episode that Rebecca recorded interviewing Jamie Shanks, who is the CEO of Sales for Life. In the meantime, stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration, where Laura will be sharing some wisdom from a Native American proverb. For our very dedicated listeners who listen all the way to the end of every single episode, we love you best. We want to learn more about you so we can improve this podcast and add even more value to you. Please take our listener survey, which you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod survey. The survey will take you just a few minutes, and if you complete it, you can enter a drawing to win an Amazon gift card. In May, we're going to pivot from hiring and talk about storytelling on the CFS blog. You can check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And while you're there, take a minute to leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. 
And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!